Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So if our hearts and beauty and goodness and desire are so amazing, why don't we live in our hearts more often? Why don't we talk about this as a church more consistently? Because if we can answer that question, we're going to make a lot of headway in our ministries, but more importantly, for yourself. And can I just say that? Like the church cares about you as a person before we care about what ministry you do for us. Like we we want your heart to be well. And then if you want to share, you feel like the Lord's calling you to share, great, we're glad to have your gifts. So what if our hearts are distracted numb and hurting. Why would we ever want to go in there then? This is Father Boniface Hicks. He's a Benedictine monk. Does a lot of work in the spiritual life. This is from one of his books. He writes, The journey of our deepening interiority is a journey of vulnerability. In the depths of our interiority, we come face to face with the truth. This includes the truth of our identity who we are uniquely, and of the meaning of our lives. These truths define the value of our person. Consequently, they are extremely sensitive. What happened when you didn't make the baseball team? When grandpa died? When you had to have a simpler Christmas because someone didn't have a job? These events in your life story conveyed pain, not in your elbow, in your heart. And when our heart has pain, we're led to believe things that are lies about ourselves, God, the world, and other people. When we're in pain, we think out of the pain and we have distorted views on reality. So in order to live in our hearts, it feels so weak and deflated and scary. The heart doesn't feel strong. So I don't know about you, there's several kinds of meetings at my parish where as a pastor, I don't want to be in my heart because it feels dangerous to me. I feel unsafe. Monsignor Albacete will say we are structurally disproportionate. He goes on to say, if you learn nothing else, just go at parties and say that phrase. People will be impressed. (laughs) Structurally disproportionate. What he means is we have desires we can't fill. You cannot fulfill the desires of your heart. Take a deep breath. That's actually good news. You can't. You're not expected to. You can't find fulfillment on your own. But this then means we're, if we're structurally disproportionate, it means we're structurally relational. We're now dependent, needy, desirous. And we enter into these deep caverns within us that are full of longing. And we feel inadequate, poor, little, 
dependent, and needy. Raise your hand if you love feeling those things. Yeah, if you did, I would say, please leave, you're dangerous. <laughs> but what's amazing is we all know this is who we are. Like We all know we have this place in us. I get to hide from it a little bit today because I'm on a stage and I have something presented and I know what's coming next, so I get to look a little more polished when I'm on this stage. But Father Mario's known me long enough. He can tell you I'm a train wreck. Because I feel really little. Hardest year of my life was the first year I was assigned to the parish I'm at. The parish I'm at in my diocese has a similar bent and reputation as St. Hugo's would have in this one. All right, so to know that where I'm the pastor of. All right, it's a similar thing. 4,300 families. And it's big, and by, but all the people who own all the companies and stuff and all the stuff like that, right? They're wonderful people. But my first year I got signed there, I was 37 years old as the pastor in August of 2020. <laughs> following a man who was there 27 years that they thought walked on water, and he's a great man, he is. I never felt so little and small in my life. And I didn't know what I'm going to tell you now about being little and small. And so I just, it was the same reason why I'd never be on the traveling baseball team. The same reason uh, Amarel never picked me for Sadie Hawkins dance. <laughs> Don't worry, I had, there's another girl, Amanda, she was great. <laughs> I thought these were the same reasons why I had to be funny. Not I get to be funny, I had to be. It was the only way I could hide what I thought was bad and get people to like me. Now notice how God uses everything. Now I get to use it for Jesus. But, imagine that place in you. Blessed are the poor. When you're poor, when you don't have what it takes, which you are structurally disproportionate, Jesus says, I am blessing you. Unless you turn and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. How do you get into the infinite? You have to turn and become like little children. Children are dependent, needy, weak, vulnerable. Their whole life is, love me. And then, I love you. Their just whole life is uncalculated vulnerability. Jesus, you have to be reconciled to that in your heart if you're going to get into the kingdom. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 40, verse 17. I am poor and needy, but the Lord thinks of me. I say that a lot throughout the day. These places in you, this is my claim for the second talk, makes us like Jesus. When you're feeling competent and you got it all together, that doesn't make you like Jesus. That means you're blessed by Jesus. But when you're feeling needy, dependent, vulnerable, weak, you're like Jesus. Here's a quote again by Father Boniface. In Jesus, God has shown us that divine power, God's very omnipotence, is manifest in infinite vulnerability. From the first moment of his existence in the womb of Mary, 
Jesus shows us that God dwells in vulnerability. Vulnerability radiates the beauty of God himself. The vulnerable human heart is the most beautiful thing there is. When a doctor's in my office crying because she's afraid her husband doesn't love her anymore. It's sad, but it's also beautiful that she has this desire to still be beautiful for her husband. This need for her marriage to feel secure again. And she's just opening up in all of her weakness, all of her structural disproportionateness. I can't do this on my own. I don't have what it takes. I'm hurting. And she shares it without accusation or proving or ego or mask and just says, here. It's powerful. Or a businessman talks about a love he had when he was a kid. And he gets all excited about it, even as an adult. He's this professional guy and he's talking about, I used to play with transformers and I'd have them do these things. And he gets excited, even as a 50-year-old man, as if he was still five playing with transformers. There's a part of his heart that awakens. It's stunning. These are beautiful, sacred places of littleness. It's where we feel not big and confident, going to conquer the world. Little. Every one of us has it. And it's incredibly vulnerable. Holiness is not about being fine, but opening our littleness to and with Christ. How often do you take that little place inside of you and just bring him or her to prayer. Unmasked, unprotected. The early church fathers used to say prayer is nothing but getting naked before God. They don't mean physically. They mean interiorly. Just, here's no fig leaves. Jesus, here's what I love meditating on. Jesus takes on our littleness. He has needs vulnerabilities. As a human son, he needed the love of mother and father. He needed delight, care, touch, attention, guidance, protected. He had all the real human needs. In fact, John Paul II, his document on St. Joseph, I'm paraphrasing, but he has said something like this, Joseph had to be a good dad, otherwise Jesus would have had father wounds and would not have been able to have a perfect humanity. That's how vulnerable God became, where he really needed Mary and Joseph to pull through. I don't know about you, but that's like, that's God, that was really dumb of you. Like, thank God it worked out, but whew. That could have gone sideways a million ways. Joseph, frustrated building a table, comes home and takes it out on Mary, and oh my gosh. Do you see how vulnerable Jesus has taken on? Not your impressive parts necessarily, although there is communion there as well, but in particular in your poverty, in your littleness, your dependence, your weaknesses. He took that on in his human flesh. 
which means holiness is not graduating from poverty or healed from weakness or needs, but rather opening them as a place of communion and intimacy. You will never become so holy that you don't have needs. You will never become so holy that you don't feel weak or dependent. If you feel like that sounds strange to me, put a note on your notebook or on your hand and tap into that. Because it means the one you're defining holiness by is someone other than Jesus. And that's not because you're bad. It's because things influence us. You'll never graduate from your poverty. You're structurally disproportionate. So why is that so hard? Because when we have been little, vulnerable, needy, or poor, we've been hurt. Now let me say this right away. Barring some extreme examples, I'm sure your mom and dad did the best they could. But you were not created for your mom and dad. You were created for the love of Mary and Joseph, for a perfect mom and dad. So when they had limits and they made mistakes, it affected the kids. It affected you. As you know, if you're a mom and dad, that when you have a bad day, you're like, I'm so sorry. It affects them. doesn't mean it's the end of the world. We don't want to make this level 10. But it's also not zero, and it's not fine. Because it exists not in your mind necessarily, it exists in your heart. And newer, newer science coming out, it also exists neurologically and physiologically in your cellular structure and your brain structure. But regardless, you were hurt. You went and trusted a priest, and you told them some things, and it turns out he told other staff members. You had a moment of vulnerability and you were betrayed. All right? As a kid, you tried to, you tried to be friends with the, someone you saw was sad. You, you were really sweet and tried to reach out to them and they mocked you for it. I remember reading an article about a guy who said he was always embarrassed because he likes apple teenies and those are associated with being a homosexual. And so he couldn't love what he loved because he was embarrassed by it. And he said, in his healing with Jesus, one of the things he senses is that Jesus loved when he ate, drank an apple martini. But he was so in shame to be just vulnerable enough to like what he liked because he was mocked and hurt. There's all sorts of names or events that communicated to your body and your heart that you are not a gift. And you are not good. You're unsafe. You have to hide. So let me introduce you to little Ryan. This is me. I drew this. I know. Pretty good artist. So what I drew here was me. And probably about five years old, eight years old, something like that. I loved Michael Jordan more than anything in the world when I was a kid. So I have a Michael Jordan jersey on. In my hand, I'm holding a little thing. I used to play with something called mask. G.I. Joes were one thing. Uh, Transformers were another thing. Mask weren't machines that changed. They were people who had cars that turned into really cool things. You probably don't get it. It's fine. All right. So uh, I love mask. 
there's like some corn stalks next to me because my grandfather had this big piece of property and had a huge garden on there and I used to love riding on his red tractor and being a part of the garden. And then these thought bubbles. In the top right, there's a pair of nunchucks and bad guys. I used to imagine beating up bad guys all over my house, invisible people, and I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That right there in one picture captures a huge part of my heart as a little five-year-old boy. A huge part. So we're gonna take three minutes. I want you to draw you on that sheet of paper. You're about five to eight-year-old self. What did you love? Remember, that was a kid. He or she was totally innocent. They just loved what they loved. What are some things you loved? You only have three minutes, so ready, go. Okay, well done, thank you. Thanks for doing that. I know that people process with different speeds, so I know for some of you that just felt like Lent. And now for some of you, you're like, I had that done in 30 seconds. Bring it on, Father. All right. There can be a helpfulness of being forced to do things quickly sometimes because sometimes our protecting, we're trying to protect ourselves to make sure, I, okay, and it's like we just want to get some of the pictures out there. That's all. So I'm going to show you this real quick. That's me. I loved Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. I like the mask. That's why I drew this car. My grandfather had a farm. I loved being on it. I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I used to imagine beating up bad guys throughout the house. Took me eight seconds. Some tables have big numbers, but in groups of four, share your picture with people at your table. Now remember, please be careful. Someone is sharing their heart with you. And these are little kid desires. These aren't like a 50-year-old person being like, well, I loved playing with ants. Well, you were a kid. Of course you did. These are just a little, you're going to get to know the person next to you, little heart. This is a sacred place. So each person takes 20 seconds to share. Go. Now, I just want you to look at your drawing and don't judge yourself if you're a good artist or not. But take a few deep breaths and see if you can't connect with that little kid inside of you. Because that was really you who loved those things. Those were your experiences. It's part of your story. Jesus was with you in those moments. Those were your first tastes of the infinite. They're beautiful. Little kids' loves are wonderful. Just notice as you think about that part of you, just be aware of how you feel about that part of your life. Maybe there's like a, oh, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Maybe there's a, I don't like doing this. I don't, I'm not sure why, I just, this isn't good. Let's move along. Maybe it's, can I have another hour to tell everyone how much I loved everything? <laughs> Unless you turn and become like little children. Unless that part of your heart is reconciled to you in some way. We can't get in. Here's an important question. What happened to that kid? On that same sheet of paper, if you can flip it over, on the back side, you will not share this. There's no more sharing for the rest of the day. This is just you and Jesus, okay? I'd like you to write down what events Words, 
or experience caused that kid to go away at some point. I'm going to name a bunch. You were called nerd in middle school. You were abused by someone in your life. Dad or mom always hard on you for your looks or lack of strength. You moved a lot. Parents were divorced. Found family members porn. Parents addictions. Made fun of by popular kids or siblings. Lack of attention and love by parents because they worked a lot. Sick family member or death of a family member. And I just got said those to get the engine going for you. Could be level 10, could be just one. There's no comparing when it compares to how that little kid got hurt. Write down what were the words, the events, or the things that happened to that little kid that have caused you to separate from them, that make you say, I don't like connecting that part of my story, or I had a pretty good life, but there are some things, I guess. Just write those down if you could. You're not sharing. This is for you and God. You just want to write a word or a phrase that captures that experience. You want to write the whole thing out. Just a little word or phrase. That little boy or girl was free and had loves and hobbies and enjoyments. And at some point, their heart kind of hid away like a turtle. Could have just been a perception. Nothing happened to you, but, oh, I perceive that I'm not cool. I'm not good. Just notice what happened to that kid. What events, what people, could have been family, friends, school, coaches, youth group, church. You might be bumping into a few just slogans that you told yourself. Well, dad had to work because we wouldn't, he needed to provide for us. And that's true, and I'm glad he did work. It's also true as a little kid, you still wanted dad's attention and love. And that's a good desire. Or it's true, kids will be kids. They're mean. Middle schoolers are mean. It's true. Didn't mean that was God's plan for you. That you'd have to suffer the cruelty of kids or siblings. Or our youth group priest or youth minister always gave attention to the popular kids and they never had time for me. Whether that's true or not, in hindsight, it's how you felt. And that affected the heart. The heart took the pain. Now, if you could flip your sheet back over and look at the little kid. Remember all the goodness of the little kid? His or her just innocent, sweet loves. And I think about how that kid took a real beating with these events or words, even if they were small. That kid's heart is so vulnerable that the littlest things can hurt it. I now want you to take your piece of artwork, all right? I want you to crumble it up. I know for some of you, it was hard. It was even harder, though, that you experienced those pains. What if this is how most people in the pews feel? What if this is you and you've been really pretending really hard that this isn't you? What if this, this guy right here, what if he's a bishop? Because he spent all of his time feeling this way. So he had to be the smartest and the hardest working. So he got rewarded for all that. But on the inside, this is how he felt. What if you're a music minister, youth minister, evangelization, parish receptionist, whatever you may be, 
And people are like, wow, you work at the church. You must be. And you go, this is what I am. What if you feel God forsaken, abandoned, scared, lost, hopeless, powerless, confused, and shame? Now imagine this is how you feel and the church charts talking to you about Jesus and how to be holy and all the moral teachings and all the dogmas and doctrines that we have. All right, And you go, the only way I could ever fit in is if I take this, my heart, and I throw it away. And I say, okay, what do I need to do? I'll pray that rosary. I'll get that perfect thing. Okay, good. I'll take the, oh, I should wear a cassock and then I'll be seen as a holy priest and faithful to the church. I'll wear my cassock all the time now. That's not why everyone wears a cassock. Please try to hear me generously there, okay? Okay, I'm supposed to do a rosary, a holy hour, and a chaplet of divine mercy. Okay, if that's what I need to do and I'll tell people, then I'll be okay. Because I threw my, what I really am is a piece of trash. Now, not every part of us thinks this. There's some parts of us that were like, okay. But there's really deep places. But what if the Christian proposal What if what we're offering you is that when God entered the world, he entered into this? Remember on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What if he entered into your little boy and little girl heart crying out, why? Why did mom? Why did dad? Why did brother? Why did sister? Why did coach? Why did friend? Why did uncle, why did that, why? It's not fair. Why did that happen, God? What if when God entered the world, he entered into this in your life? What if he comes and says, I want to know what's in there? And we go, I've spent my whole life hiding this, Jesus. Now you want to go there? He says, not to conquer, to love. What if every crucifix wasn't an example of power, but a revelation of the immense kindness and the tender desire of the Lord to enter our forsaken places and bring us to himself. What if what Jesus wants to do is say, I, I think I want to find out about that little boy and say, Look, he's hurting. He, he, he listen, he sucks. I get it. He's bad. He's not enough. I would say other names of word in church gathering and a seminary grounds, but gentlemen, you know what words you've been called and what you would call yourself. Ladies, same thing, just as violent. No, you know, just no, let's just keep that closed off and I'll just be all these things. In whatever group I'm in, I'll try to size up. What do I need to be to be like at the top of that group or fit in? Because I'm already suffering. But what if when Jesus enters into his suffering and death, it's because he wants to know you from the inside out. This is what it means to be a redeemer. He doesn't throw this away. That's not redemption. That's deletion. He wants to go here and through deep vulnerability on our part, he wants to very slowly untwist this for you. And at every turn, no, no, this is, I know the memory, this sucked. I know what it was like, I don't want, he's like, I won't hurt you and I'll stop if you want me to because I love you too much. I won't force. But I'm telling you, that suffering is already in me. I've already gone there. 
You were once deemed in the Garden of Eden very good. Sin entered the world. You and I became compromised. He now came to redeem us very good. Not by getting rid of your humanity, but by helping you go into the places of your heart where that fear, pain, and shame are living. As the source of all that is kind and encouraging and understanding. He dies in your humanity, suffering, bleeding like crazy, and rises glorious in your humanity to say, I can bring you to the other side. Where there is no crying or tears. Where when you felt so small and so weak, you can now feel revered and honored. Because like Christmas, heaven is for the little ones. Those who recognize my littleness wasn't the problem. It was someone else's brokenness. My littleness Jesus took on, and he's redeeming me. That death and resurrection of him entering into your pain and mine is the Eucharistic revival. That's what's represented at every Mass, is the kind of love that would leave the safety of his father in heaven and his mother on earth and run to you, not on the days where you have a gown on and makeup and looking great or you're in a nice suit and things are going well and you're giving a talk in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Not on those days. But where when you're driving and those memories come back to you and you go, no, no, no. And he goes, right there. I want to go there with all the life and love of the mystery that you still are seeking. Monsignor Albacete says this, What is happening on the cross is an affirmation of the identification of Christ and humanity in the face, the place of sin and death. No amount of sin and suffering diminishes the infinite dignity of you. Jesus on the cross is revealing, if I'm still the Son of God, and loved by the Father in the place of sin, evil, suffering, and injustice, and I'm still God's beloved Son, when you were suffering injustice, pain, brokenness, evil, you were still his son and daughter as well. And when he took our human suffering on and put it on the cross, he took it into the very life and love of the Trinity, which means those crumpled up moments are already within the tender love of God. But because he won't force anything because he loves, he gives us the space and time to open up gently and consistently these places. To quote on your sheet, but we're going to end before we go to the chapel and pray. Pope St. John Paul II's first document was called The Redeemer of Man. In there, paragraph 10, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, if you assimilate the incarnation and paschal mystery, meaning God taking on your humanity, suffering, dying, and rising. If you assimilate that, meaning you let him in through tender prayer, allowing him access, not everyone else, people can be dangerous, but God, and he'll put some people in your life who can love you there. If you allow him in, you allow this intimacy to take place, John Paul II says, not only will what will break forth is praise of the Creator. You are so good, God, you make everything. And he does. He's great. He doesn't have a fragile ego. He doesn't need to hear it, but it helps us. John Paul II says, not only will you praise God, 
you will break out with marvel and wonder at yourself. He says another name for this marveling at oneself, being good and loved, even in the pain. Another name for that, he says, is the gospel or Christianity. He says, this way of marveling at the goodness of who you are and others, he goes, it is the way of the church and perhaps even more so in the modern world. How many of you learned that in CCD? Not because you're bad or great. It's because if you have to, if you're going to talk about it, you have to have done it. How can more priests and bishops on top of it? Who wants to go in there? The only reason to go in there is because love went there first. And he descended into the dark and waits for you. He's in your heart. He's already there, like a little baby, arms open, saying, Hi. I know. I actually know how much it hurt. I know what it felt like for you because I felt it on the cross for you. Not so that you don't feel suffering, but so you never have to be alone. That life, that intimacy, that power to die and rise is given to us at every Mass in the Eucharist. And so what we're inviting you to do this time is kind of have a contemplative 15 minutes, meaning we'll exit here and go into the chapel. We're going to ask you to just kind of stay in that place. I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to bring the crumpled up with you, just as a gesture while you're at Mass, as a way of praying, just to say, this is really the heart I'm bringing. And maybe, most of us, maybe at this point, your ministers, you're only like a little bit crumpled, and this part's opened up, and it's beautiful. You've made some real progress. And maybe this little piece the Lord wants to talk about today. But that when you receive the Eucharist, infinity is going to enter, but in particular, the infinity who takes on the face of a kind love that wants to be with you in your pain to bring about life and glory.